welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Depression. The Mayo Clinic states that depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. It affects how you feel, think, and behave, and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble doing normal day-to-day activities, and sometimes you may feel as if life isn't worth living. Many women, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say perhaps especially boomer age women, were met with eye rolls and or explanations that it was their imagination and they should be grateful for their wonderful life, just snap out of it. Well, for the last few decades, you know, there's been a a better understanding of depression, but it's still shrouded in misunderstanding, underdiagnosis, and doubt. My guest today has lived with depression so long, she wrote a book about it. I heard a term recently that might describe the book, autofiction, fiction based on autobiographical details. Got to get that word out. Kathy Jean-Francois, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you, Agnes, so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. It's just such a a subject that's so huge, but it's still behind closed doors and, you know, it doesn't get out there and yet it has to. So it seems like depression's been a part of your life for a long time. Can you share your way of being in the beginning and what led to the diagnosis of depression? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's only been about a year since I realized what could have possibly caused my depression. But yes, I have been depressed for a very long time, ever since I was a child. I remember just always being sad, crying, feeling low, feeling anger towards myself, feeling hate towards myself. And this has been consistent since I was in grade school. Sorry about yeah, that. No, that's great. We just talked about our dogs. <laughs> <laughs> since um, grade school. Now, I have a twin sister, Roxy, sweetheart. I have a twin sister who doesn't experience uh, depression like I do. And um, I never understood quite why I was the one who suffered with it and she didn't or why she didn't as well. So... I never quite understood why I was always depressed, never quite understood, you know, where it came from, what the root cause of it was. And um, it wasn't it wasn't until a year ago when I was watching a show with my sister and my favorite cousins. 
about this woman who was in an army base and she was consistently uh, harassed and, uh, you know, she was consistently harassed by the people on her base or by someone in particular on her base. And, and then it sort of got us talking about about sexual harassment and sexual abuse. And my my cousins talked about what, what happened to them. And then it, it, it suddenly occurred to me, oh my gosh, I remember something really profound that happened to me when I was 11 years old. All this time I kept thinking I was 12, but it happened when I was 11 years old. And that's when I remember, oh my gosh, that's when I, that's my first memory of me feeling that self-loathing, feeling angry and upset all the time. It involved a boy who touched me in the wrong place. And it wasn't so much that he touched me there because I was so naive at the time that I was just like, oh, you know, just take your hand away from there. But it was the words that he said to me. He said, don't worry, I won't tell nobody. And I remember feeling shock, like what's happening? I knew those words weren't right. Like I said, I was 11 years old, very, very shy very naive. I didn't know anything about boys um, or sex or anything like that. And I remember later that night, I did, I did confront him and I, I, I attacked him, punching him. Don't you ever do that to me again? I didn't even know this boy. He wasn't ever going to do that to me again because we had just met that night and, you know, it was just never going to happen again. But I remember a, a good friend of mine, from grade school left in the fifth grade and we used, we were pen pals. And when I was in the sixth grade, I remember writing to her about what had happened. And I wrote, I hate myself so much. I can't believe I let this happen. Um, I am so stupid for letting it happen. And she wrote back, I had never heard you talk about yourself like that. And I always remember that. I always remember that. And it's true. Before that happened, I was a shy kid, but I was okay. I don't ever remember falling into bouts of, of depression and fits of crying. But after that, I, I was changed a little bit. Never liked hanging out with anyone. Always got angry with boys, started yelling, blah, blah, blah. And I, it, I feel like throughout, through the years with me not realizing or understanding where this came from, or even where that pain went, because I hadn't thought about that specific incident for years, yet it stayed with me. And I know that it stayed with me because of my relation with men, boys, boys and men, like uh, my the very first boyfriend I had when I was in college, well, high school into college, somehow I didn't realize that he had been cheating on me for the entire time and he was manipulative and that's how he got me to stay with him. And after that, it, it, it was a succession of different men that I was dating and it just never worked out. And I felt like it was just me. And I, I think in, in effect, it, it was me because I didn't trust men and I probably didn't trust myself with men because I, I underestimated this boy who was with me. He was like, you know, I, I trusted him and I didn't have any reason to trust him, but I didn't have any reason not to trust him either. And then that happened. And so I felt like a lot of that anger, a lot of that sadness about what had ha what had occurred that night stayed with me 
in a way that I didn't even realize. And it really affected my relationships, not just with men, but with, with people in general and how I trusted people out in the world and how I trusted or distrusted my judgment of people. And um, I realized that, you know, I, I, there were times when I was so depressed, I didn't want to go out. And even on those days that I did want to go out, I, I felt like something was keeping me in, like, like a sort of a, like a mild form of agoraphobia, didn't want to go out, didn't, never wanted to really meet people. And I think that all stemmed from my distrust in myself. I, I don't know. It could be a number of things, but I think that's where it started. I'm going to go sideways just for a second here because you hear that so often. I, I guess, you know, my world is women, but from women who have had uninvited sexually oriented encounters and the feeling of shame, the feeling of it's my fault, the feeling of less self-worth and self-trust, you know, wearing it themselves. Whereas screw that noise you know the guy should have been knocked up against the wall and you know made I don't know accept responsibility um as opposed to especially a child Mm -hmm. yeah do do you know offhand sorry I'm gonna just I guess where I was going with that whole thing is just that because my my life is women I have daughters do you know offhand if a sexually an uninvited sexual encounter happens to a boy do they still have those feelings of um just no self-worth distrust and, and shame and yeah yeah i i i have no idea yeah. hmm. sorry as i said i went sideways there so at what point in time did and i realize it's only you've only just sort of figured out the cause which actually was an eye opener for me because i guess i sometimes think of you know, whether it's chemical imbalances or something more within the body, mm-hmm. as opposed to an, an event or a series of events that would trigger, although that makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. At what point in time did you sort of seek out a diagnosis to be you know, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I avoiding people? Why do I not trust men? You know, why am I getting my, lining myself up with all these bad players? Yeah, it was, it was a, so I'm I'm 48 now, and I re- remember that probably my mid to late 20s is when I sought therapy only because my sister is the one who started that ball rolling. I was, she didn't know how to help me. I was always crying, angry, never wanting to leave the apartment, just, just, really just really depressed and I never did anything about it and my sister didn't know how to help me she didn't know what to say to me uh, nothing so finally she was like she she had enough I guess and she was like I'm, I'm gonna find a therapist for you and she's the one who who sought that therapy for me and uh, when she did that I didn't fight it I knew that it was something that I needed to do I didn't fight it and and I knew that she was helping me the best way that she could so I went to therapy and I was diagnosed, like I said, I'm going to say it was in my late twenties. And, um, I, I, I talked about like when I saw therapy at the time, even though I knew that it was something that I needed to do, I don't think I understood where it was coming from. And so I just dealt with 
just my everyday feelings about things, about people, about boys, about myself. And it took quite a bit of time in understanding other ways to relieve my my depression for me to come up with this realization, which my current therapist is helping me with now. So um, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, and I'm going to follow it up with when the therapist said, this is depression, you know, did you sort of have that? Oh my God. Yeah. That makes sense. Or did you say like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, how does depression affect me? Yes. I said, this makes sense. I, I, I didn't, when, when I was first diagnosed with depression, it sounded like it made sense to me and I wanted that help. So I, I, I went to the therapy sessions and I took the uh, medication that was given to me after a while I couldn't take it anymore. I, and I couldn't go to therapy anymore. Okay. So I was, I was working in publishing when I started going to therapy and, um, and, and then my, my father had passed away and I was like, what's, what's there to life? You know, I was just like really thinking about my life and, and I decided to stop, uh, to quit my job in publishing right after my father passed away. And that's when I became a teacher. And so when I quit publishing, I no longer had insurance. So I couldn't continue with the therapy and I couldn't continue with the, with the medication. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm just going to try this on my own. And for, and I was actually going through the timeline yesterday with my therapist. So for about seven years or so, I stopped going to therapy because I didn't have, because at first I didn't have insurance. And then when I did find a job as a teacher and I got, I got insurance, I didn't seek therapy right away because I was feeling okay until the depression got so bad again, that it was affecting my life and it was affecting how I I turned up in the world. It was affecting me going out and having a good time. It was just affecting, and even my family members. So um, when I got that, so so when I first got the diagnosis of depression, I understood it. I accepted it. I'm depressed. I go, this is what I go through. And I kept it quiet. I didn't tell anyone about it. I, I hid behind smiles and, and a happy go lucky face, you know, but when I went back into therapy, it was because I, even though I was very well aware that I was suffering with depression, I, I knew that it was time to go back. It, it, it was, it was just messing with my life. Is there, or have you ever felt stigma within your workplace? because of your diagnosis? No, I never did feel stigma because as I mentioned, I I never told anyone. I never shared that part of my life with anyone. I've only started sharing my depression on social media since last year when I decided to write a blog about it. And um, I felt like I had written, I had a a blog called The Reluctant Bachelorette, which was like, why why am I not married yet you know um now just me exploring why the why I was not married yet and this whole thing I I I kept going back to the common denominator is me I I'm I'm still 30 something years old and I'm not married I'm 40 something years old and I'm not married and I knew that there was something going on with me and I kept thinking about that and then I found I I I started dating my husband at the you know I I started dating my husband who was also a fellow teacher and um we got married and then so I quit that reluctant bachelorette blog and I started tied the knot, 
you know, indicating that I, I'm now married. And I didn't want to continue with that. I didn't want to tell stories about my life with my husband. It just didn't interest me. So I was really thinking about, well, what am I going to write about? And then it dawned on me, well, you know, you're suffering with depression. You wrote a book about depression. Why don't you talk about depression in your blog? Be, be you know, tell people how you're trying to overcome it. And and it, it, it's more of a, of, it's more, more supposed to be an inspirational blog where somebody can look at it and 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 read it and 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 be like, oh wow, you know, I I, I suffered with this and uh, you know, oh this is what she's doing to overcome it and maybe you know it's supposed to be something really inspirational. So with all of that said, I had not come out as a depressive on, in my workplace, so I hid behind um, these happy smiles, and now I'm coming out with it and. And when I, and I feel good about it, because when I do tell people, oh, well, you know, I suffer with depression, so I write a blog, I say it like, as a matter of fact, I don't say it with any pain. I don't say it like, you know, feel sorry for me. It's just what it is. And I don't feel the stigma. I I, I understand that people may look at me and, and, and think about the stigma, but I don't feel it. I'm not ashamed of it. So tell me about the difference between not telling anybody and being happy-go-lucky and have that little plastic smile on your face because, you know, that's what you present to the world and putting it out there and saying, I'm a depressive and I'm writing about it and the joy that comes from that freedom and I'm sure the smile became a real smile. Tell me about those two different, that difference. Well, before I felt like the, the smile that I would put on was was me acting and I would, I, it drained me a lot of the times, but I didn't realize it at the time. This is all in retrospect. Oh no. <laughs> <was>, yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's so, always 2020. Yes. <laughs> so it was, it, it was, it was draining and I felt like there were two sides of me, this, you know, happy person that nobody liked, that everybody liked, excuse me. <laughs> and the, the side of me that nobody knew or nobody had to know. And what's interesting is that I always felt uncomfortable in social situations. And I loved hanging out with the people at my workplace when I was working in publishing. And to hide or mask the fact that I felt uncomfortable, I would drink. And I would drink. And I would drink. And then I would drink. There were times when I would go home with one of the people that I worked with and spend the night with him and and this wasn't me but that's what I did and everybody would be like oh you know and talk about it and and now I felt like oh when I go out to drink people expect this of me and everybody thinks I'm cool so it was um I was putting on a show I think for me I think I I was I was trying to hide that and I don't even know if it was that dramatic because I don't even realize what I was doing but essentially, that's what it was. I felt uncomfortable around people in social situations. So I drank and that made me feel so much better. And I really liked myself when I was drinking. I liked how free I was. I liked how happy I felt. And, and but, but now I feel like I don't need to do that anymore. I'm awkward, I feel. And you know what? Let me be awkward. The last time I went on a social outing uh, with, with a group of coworkers. Now this is at the new school that I teach. I felt so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. 
And I was, you know, people were standing and talking in groups and I was like on the outer edge of the group, you know, just listening in, chiming in, trying to chime in every so often. And I was very aware of how uncomfortable it felt. I was very aware of how out of place I felt, but I chose not to drink it away. I chose not to drink because I was, I wanted to, I had one drink. I sipped it slowly. I didn't drink it quickly so I can go straight to my head. And I left there feeling like, I didn't really connect with them, but still feeling happy and proud of myself that I didn't drink in order to connect with them. So the difference is that I'm no longer putting up that facade. I'm letting them know this is me in my awkward glory, <laughs> you know? Well, it's interesting too, as a, as an introvert and part of a proud group of introverts yes. is, you know, a lot of what you're saying too is just, and I realize you do have that other piece of the story, but you know, you said even before 11, you were shy. And so add introvert into the mix and it all makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I can certainly see how exhausting it would be. And, and even, you know, if you're happy, drunk, drunk, happy, whatever the word, the term would be, you're still protecting your secret. Yes. So, so really, yeah. really tough there. Okay. A little other little sideways question is how did depression in high school students get along? How did depression in high school students get along? Yeah. High school students can be relatively intuitive, but they're also can be very selfish. Um, they could be cruel at times. Just, I, I just curious because uh, boy, that's a, a tough group to, uh, to teach. That is a tough group to teach. And I don't know. I don't know if I know that much to really answer that question, to be honest with you. I felt like as somebody who went through this feeling of, like in, in, in high school, I wasn't happy and I was, I, I, I was very aware of, of my unhappiness. So when I see a student who's really quiet, I tried to befriend, befriend that student in a way like, hi, how are you today? And do you, you sure you don't want to talk to anybody over there? That's okay. You know, um, I noticed that a lot of students do tend to be off on their own quiet, but that may not be them being depressed. And I do see a lot of students who act out, either they don't pay attention in class or they have all these friends or they, they'll talk to somebody in the class from across the room while I'm teaching. And I don't know if that is a sign that they have more going on at home or more going on in, in their, in their emotional lives. I really don't know because whenever we do see somebody, a student either crying or sad or upset or quiet, or maybe they've written something that seems questionable, like, Oh my gosh, we need to alert somebody. We need to talk to the guidance counselor right away and, um, and let them handle it. So we don't really come into the mix in a way. So I'm not really quite sure. I can only speak for myself when I was in high school and how depressed and sad I got. And again, I I hid behind smiles. There were times when I would be, like if I had a class, and I was the only person out of all my friends, like none of my friends were in the class. I'd, I'd keep to myself and I was very quiet. But around my friends, I was loud. I had the safety of my friends, you know? But I try to reach out to students who um, are open to me, who tell me that they're feeling uncomfortable in the world. And the first time that I, not the first time, one of the times that I, that I did that, uh, a student wrote to, uh, an email to me just like 
just in the beginning of the pandemic, she sent an email to me. She's like, Miss Jean, you're the only, you're the only teacher that I, I feel comfortable telling this to. And, and she just ranted and just told me a, a number of things that, that uh, was bothering her about her life. And in, in, in an effort to try to help her, I, I actually did the wrong thing instead of telling the guidance counselors about it right away. I tried to help her. And that was like the worst thing that a teacher could do. But, but I, I, I felt her pain and I wanted to reach out to her. So, and this was, as I said, at the beginning of the pandemic, and I know the pandemic affected so many people in their mental health, not just children, not just teenagers, but adults as well. So in answering your question, that was a long-winded answer, <laughs> but how do how does depression mix in with teenagers? I don't think just like I I don't think they understand what they're going through. And I think I'm going to interrupt you just briefly because um, I was more thinking that if they felt that you know you were you know having down days or anything at all that they would pick up on that and. <sighs> Uh, this is a really bad admission, but I, I remember a couple of high school students or a couple of high school teachers that, you know, we pick on. And, you know, I have certainly no pride in saying that these days. So th that was more of my concern that you would be made to suffer by some of them at least. But what I'm also hearing, though, is because of what you'd lived through for however many years, you were actually really intuitive about sussing out the students issues yeah I, I I try to be and I and just just like you said before I did real I do realize that I used to pick on some students more so than others but th there are students who are who I, I just feel like I I, I want to reach out to them and, and let them know that because I was one of the quiet ones in school and teachers never talked to me and in fact I remember in the sixth grade I used to cry a lot every single day I was crying it's just said whoever who knows what 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 it was and I think that was that the start of my depression and I remember one of my teachers looking at me like like why is she crying again another teacher comes into the room and she's talking to her and she pointed right at me and I was just like what and 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 I felt I felt picked on by the teachers you know and I felt like none of the teachers really understood me or tried to understand me or no she pointed at me she she was obviously talking about me but she never came up to me and said is there anything that I can help you with and so I tried to be that teacher that says is there anything that I can help you with interestingly and I'm just going to throw this in there because when my daughter was in high school there was some things that went on in her life and it was her English teacher as a matter of fact so good Oh my goodness, this person was just so helpful. And I mean, I, I knew the family anyways, but I went and talked to the teacher and said, thank you. And what else do I do? And what do we do? And after a, a time, I think it was, went on for a couple of months, I went and I said, like, why, why are you teaching when you would make such a good counselor? Mm -hmm. And this teacher looked at me and said, because if I was an actual counselor, I'd have to go by the rules. Mm. whereas this way you know he knew the right path and he yeah it, it was just so effective so effective yeah wow that sounds powerful yeah yeah so, awesome. <laughs> you're a writer now yeah. are you just have you just always been a writer or you know I guess it makes sense that an English teacher would write <laughs> has it been therapeutic has it been a lifeline or is it just something you've always done 
Oh, yes to all of the above. I've, I've always written and I've always liked telling stories, writing stories. I remember my sister and I used to have this big black book with, um, it was a hardcover book with empty pages inside. And we used to fill it up with silly little stories. My sister liked to draw, so she would draw in it. And we just carried around. And, and I remember writing silly stories like the girl who turned into a chair. Like, okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> but I've always liked writing stories. I've always, and I used to make like these tiny little books for my father to read. So I would, I would like take a couple of sheets of paper, fold it in half and then use a ruler to write lines on it, just create a story. And I'd be like, dad, I just wrote a book. And he's like, okay, let me read it. You know? So I've always liked writing stories. And, um, it, and so about 20, so about, oh my gosh, over 20 years. So, so I started my novel about 20 years ago, but prior to that, I wrote a novel about a woman who, who discovers that, you know, she, she's uh, um part white and that her her family line goes back to uh slave owners and slaves or whatever and and yeah I like that story but it, it I didn't really feel it right and so when I started writing about um depression I started writing about a woman who's suffering with depression and I didn't understand my depression yet so I didn't understand my character's depression yet and so I throughout the years Every time when I went through my depressive episodes, I would try to remember it and 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 really think about how I felt so that I could put it into into my novel. And then through the years, it became something where I turned to to feel really good about myself and to feel better about my situation and and to to uh, admire my writing. <laughs> and so, and I realized that yo, I, I I'm writing about me, about what's going on with me, and so. I, I really love this book uh, that I've written because I have felt like that it's therapeutic, right? And so now that I started the blog uh, called uh, Kathy's Cross, A Depressive's Positive Perspective, every time I write, I feel so good about it. And I feel really good about what I'm going through. And, I'm, and I feel, I really feel like, oh my gosh, I've I've gone through this depression to help others. Even if it's to help one or two people, I, I really feel that way. And it makes me feel good. Every once in a while, I really wish that this was a visual podcast. You, you, your face has come alive and your body's animated. It's just fabulous. Oh. So you're, you're obviously right into the book. It's, uh, you know, and it obviously did what it needed to do as well as you doing what you needed to do with it, I guess. So now in your bio, you said you tried acupuncture, talk therapy, medication, meditation, positive self-talk, exercise. Can you tell us about that journey and maybe what worked, what didn't work? Sure. It all started with my sister and I deciding to go. I have a twin sister. We're fraternal twins, right? We, We don't look exactly alike. But we just, we started going to what's called a Twins Festival every year in Ohio, in this, in, in this town called Twinsburg. <laughs> and um, when the first time we went, we were excited. But at the same time, we were, we were both like, oh, why couldn't we look more alike? Because all these twins look exactly alike. We want to look more alike. And um, my sister started working out on a regular basis and she thought she was telling me, you need to work out because every time we go to a twins festival, I'm going to be the fit twin and, and you're going to be, you know, the sloppy, you know, slushy twin. And I, I, I really did not want to be so different from her. So I started working out and what ended up happening was that I started feeling pretty good about myself. And um, my sister started listening to 
you know, positive motivational videos. And she was like, listen to these, it'll help you. And I started listening to them. And in conjunction with working out, it helped me feel better about myself, right? And then, I, so it, this this essentially is a matter of influence, right? My sister and my and my cousins, because we did this, we did this with my cousins as well, became a, a positive influences in my life, right? A support system. So we started listening to meditations and talking about what worked for us, and we started listening to positive self talk and. And, and, and positive motivational videos, working out and, and even challenging each other with it. So the journey was, I think it all started with me working out and me being open, keeping my mind open to all these things that would help my body. And then in turn, the positive side effect, if you will, was that I started feeling really good about myself. And, that, and I started noticing that my depression wasn't as persistent as aggressive as it used to be. And I was like, oh my gosh, at first I thought it was just the exercise. The exercise has helped me. But then later in thinking about my journey and how that exercise opened me up to motivational videos and that opened me up to meditation and that opened me up to positive self, I realized that all of it together helped me with my depression. It was completely by accident. I don't take, I don't take medication anymore. And I don't feel like I have to. I get into a lot of, uh, into depressive episodes, of course. But for the most part, I'm not putting on a fake smile anymore. I'm like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, it's interesting because I, I was thinking it's almost like pieces of a big pie. You know, and they just all came together and it tasted so good. But also you just mentioned depressive episodes. Do you feel those coming on? Or do you wake up one morning and like you're there? No, I feel them coming on. Okay. And, and and they take they take a few days of of certain things falling into place, and 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 then I I, I don't know how how to stop those things sometimes. And even if I'm doing my meditations and, and stuff like that, um, to be honest with you, the past few weeks I think I haven't even meditated, but I continued my exercises, and I'm I'm listening to audiobooks now, so I like listening to like a lot of memoirs where people have gone through tough tough situations and they came out you know, the stronger for it. I like listening to those, those kind of inspire me. So I, I'll, I'll notice a depressive episode coming on where I'm not feeling myself. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll slack on my workout. I don't feel like working out today. I'm just feeling extra tired. And then it'll come to a point where I'm not talking to my husband. I'm, I'm like sort of in, in, in my mind, in my head, maybe I'm, I'm just focusing on my writing and but I'm not sharing what what's going on with him, with with me, with him. So I I feel them coming on, and and that just tells me it's time to regroup. And that's when I'll I'll do an extra long meditation at some point, or I'll talk to my sister, be like, okay, this is what's going on, or I'll tell my therapist about it. I don't know what's going on with me, but I, I'm feeling like this. Can we explore that? So I'm aware of it, and and I take steps in order to overcome them, overcome it. You just mentioned your husband mm-hmm. is a is a spouse a shoulder to lean on or more ammunition in your fight against depression a bit of both. I I like that term ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny because we are still newlyweds. We've been married for three years, and I think because I've been dealing with this for so long, I tend to not go to him when I'm when a depressive episode is coming on. I don't use him as a shoulder to lean on. I don't 
talk to him. I'll quick, I'll, I'll talk to my sister quicker than I will talk to him. And I think it's just a force of habit. He suffers with depression as well. And, and I feel like he doesn't necessarily come to me when he's going through his depressive episodes. He'll, he'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling depressed right now. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, no, it's just what I'm going through right now. And I think both of us have been single for so long and been dealing with it for so long that we still have to get comfortable coming to each other when we're feeling, when we feel like a depressive episode has been coming on. But no, I, I right now, I, I don't really confide in him like that. Um, and I guess too, thinking about it as you spoke, that just the fact that it's a, a, a later in life marriage, you've mm-hmm. both been aware of your personal issues for long enough and you've you've got your habits and your how you deal with it in place yes but given the fact you both have firsthand knowledge Mm -hmm. you can give each other understanding and space and whatever you need now you know how that develops as the years go by who knows but at least it's not sort of one person going like what the hell's wrong with you yeah in fact it's interesting because I know what the steps that I've taken to overcome my depression, exercise, positive self-talk, meditation, and I've offered all of that to him, but that's not his thing. So he has to do what he needs to do to overcome his depression on his own. Because because sometimes I'll look at him and I'm like, why can't you just do what I do? Because what I did helped me. Because <laughs> I'm right. Because <laughs> yeah, Well, I'm right. It worked for me. So it's got to work for you. <laughs> but I have to understand that that's not the way that he vibes so I have to go in with that understanding and at first I didn't understand it and I was just like let's get over it like like I get over it but no but as a depressive I know that you can't just get over it and I know that I didn't just get over it I I took a few steps so I I also had to come with that grace and and that understanding that he's he has to deal with it his way and I can deal with it my way Two questions come to mind. The first one is, has anybody ever said to you, oh, just snap out of it? Get yes. over it? Yes. Yes. Many, many times. Did you punch and, No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because th- this was like way back and in and, and, and the days when I didn't really understand what I was going through. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I started writing my novel when I did. I wanted to explain or to, to, um, to yeah, I guess to explain uh, depression in a fictional way, but you know, to explain it and let people know that it's not something that you can just get over. It's not, okay. and, and that was that was one of my main points for for writing the novel. But yes, people used to tell me to get over it, and guess what? I felt the same way too. Why can't I just get over this? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just stop acting like this? I would beat myself up of, over it too. So. In in essence, I was just I was trying to educate myself in why it's something that you that I can't just get over. Yeah. If I can help you out here, it's just right behind your your right ear. There's a little switch. You just flick it. <laughs> Sorry, that was. Okay, really I wish I knew that all the time. More people should know this. <laughs> I think I just made myself a million dollars. Oh dear. <laughs> right. And then I better leave the country. <laughs> Okay, next question is, is depression ever cured or is it controlled? Yeah, 
uh, based on the little that I know on this, the, the research that I've done, right. Mm-hmm. It can be cured because there's, there's some people who experience traumatic events who are triggered with depression. Right. And, the, and then there's the chemical imbalance, which I thought that I had for a long time, or maybe I have a combination of both who knows, but can it be cured? I, I think it could just be managed. I think it just can be controlled because that's one of the reasons why I, I don't know if you saw on my, on my Podmatch um, profile, I call myself the, um, the recovering depressive because I feel like that I haven't cured my own depression by far. You know, I haven't, I don't think that I can cure my depression. Even if we, if, if somebody does um, take medication, right. They would have to be on that medication for a while, right. At least in order to get better, to start seeking the, the other types of help that they can get. But I've known people who've been in therapy, talk therapy for years and they're still in it because it's not a, it's not, it's not a, it's not something that you can just cure. It's something that can be controlled with a number of things. And when you said ammunition before, you know, I, I, I like, I like that idea, that, you, you know, of having all the stuff that you can choose your ammunition, all these types of ways that you, that you can help yourself deal with this. Right. And, and for me, I, I choose talk therapy. Okay, that works for me. Oh, I, I choose meditation. That works for me as well. And so I have all this stuff with me in order to help me control and manage this thing that has taken over my life. And I don't think it can be cured from that. I know, I know that there are experts out there that can speak more to it, but I think it's something that you can just control. And But I think it is controllable if you seek the right amount, the the right type of help. But at the same time, who's to say what's right for you? Like I said, what I do to help me with my depression is not right for my husband. So we just have to try to manage what what we go through. And I think too, you've explained that you know, like exercise. Well, you know, when it, when you feel something coming on, it's just like, oh yeah, maybe I'll do something. But you know, my heart's not in. I'm not going to go push myself. Mm-hmm. But maybe just maintaining some semblance of those tools. Mm-hmm. using them just a little tiny doses or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. to helps you manage. I'm going to go out on a limb again and say that it must be helpful to know when an episode is coming on. So you can sort of take that deep breath and say, okay, like, or even think about what's worked in the past. What do you do now? What, what's your ammo sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. It helps. And and you know what has helped me a lot? I think in the past year, I've really begun to understand myself in terms of depression because I've been writing my blog because it helps me reflect because if I'm going to be writing about the things that I do to overcome depression or the negative thoughts that I have I'm going to have to reflect on what I've experienced and how I'm thinking about it and those that reflection has really helped me think about how I am and how I come across and sometimes I I, I'll go to my sister like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, remember when this and that happened? I can't believe that I acted that way. Or remember this, I completely forgot about it, but I was thinking about my not my blog. And, you know, so I think the hard work comes in really going through those episodes, going through those times when you didn't, when something happened, something that you don't want to think about again, but going through it, understanding why you reacted that way or why you did the things that you did. 
I think that's the hard work, understanding and knowing yourself in terms of your depression, in light of your depression. Another question that may well be out of your bailiwick, which please tell me. <laughs> Some of the questions are really hard to ask because like, we don't know each other. I don't know if you have triggers, that sort of thing. Okay. But I was wondering how common suicidal thoughts are amongst people with depression. Or do you know that? Like, do you know other people that? Well, no, I don't know. I don't really know. For for me, suicidal thoughts were, I had suicidal thoughts when I was in high school. But I, I, I joke, I, I was too chicken to ever, like, you know, think about carrying it carrying through with them and it wasn't so much suicidal thoughts that I had but just like what would happen if I were to suddenly go away how would my parents feel about that how would the people my who call me friend how would they react to that I haven't had suicidal thoughts since I was in high school I happen to love life now but I don't know I haven't done the research on how common it is and with my novel, my 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 main character who suffers with depression, she has suicidal thoughts, and I I know that that's one aspect of depression. Although not everybody who suffers with depression um, has suicidal thoughts, but I I I can't really answer that question to say how common it is because I haven't done that that part of the research. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, you've just lived through two and a half years of COVID. What did that do? It's funny because at first I, I was like, wait a minute, we all have to stay inside. All oh, right, yes, I can see do you this. are an introvert. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. I didn't want to go outside. I was good. I was good. And as a teacher, we were doing the remote learning. I was good. <laughs> but to be quite honest with you, after about two months, I, I started to go a little stir crazy and I didn't want to accept that because I knew that I wanted to stay inside. So why was I going a little stir crazy by staying inside I think my body was asking for that fresh air my mind was asking for that fresh air although I didn't really want to go outside Uh, it it started affecting me a little bit but if I went out like maybe once every month I was good (laughs) I was good (laughs) but for the most part I hey I I just wanted to stay inside and I I feel like I maintained a positive outlook, a positive mindset during the pandemic. So I, I didn't feel like it, the pandemic could touch me. You know, I didn't feel like I could get COVID. I got I got COVID twice and I didn't feel the effects. The very first time, I didn't feel the effects at all. I was like, okay, all right. I, I tested positive for COVID, but I kept on working out. I kept on doing my regular routine and I was good. I was good. And, and I felt good about that. Like, that's because I have a positive mindset. That's my superpower. <laughs> but uh, like I said, staying indoors was okay with me. But when I started going a little, like when I started having a little bit cabin cabin fever, I was in denial. I was like, no, I can't be going through this because I like staying inside. So that was the worst of it for me. <laughs> you know, you've got to get a 
Facebook page and do lives for depressive people because I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to depressive people, but it's like, who can be (laughs) depressed when you're sort of doing your thing because you get so (laughs) animated. You've got such a beautiful face. Okay. The box. Mm -hmm. Is it auto fiction? Yes, but only the parts where she goes through her depression. So uh, I, I said before that I every time when I had my character go through her um, depressive moments, I would try to think about how do I feel? So I had to really think about how do I feel when I'm in my depressive moments? And sometimes it just didn't come to me. So when I was, when I got they were really, really low in my depression in some points, I took out my notebook. I, and it, it, it took a while it, for me to realize that I could be writing about this right now because I really wanted to be authentic. So all, every feeling that my main character goes through, she's feeling at her lowest when she's, when she's um, self-loathing, when all, all of that is coming directly from me. Her story, you know, her story with her mother and, and, and her, the, her love interest, all of that is fiction. It has nothing to do with me. I just create, I, I needed to create a more interesting person than myself. <laughs> but um, all her depressive bouts was exactly what I went through. So that that part of it is autofiction. Now, I called it The Box, but it has a full on other title too, doesn't it? No, it's called The Box. Oh, okay. I thought yes. it was the story of something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just called The Box, a novel. Um, and the the box comes from there are several boxes that are important throughout the novel but my my first thought was like you know people build walls to keep others from from oh. reaching them my main character has built herself a box to make sure that nobody reaches her you know and and it's it's about her journey of of letting of shedding that box so that people can finally reach her and she can finally um, step out into the light so she's not in in her depressive moments anymore that's what that was about because you're relatively out there and honest about your depression do you ever have people come to you and say I think I have depression what do you say to them like how do you encourage them to take that next step no nobody has come to me for seeking help in that way nobody has, has, has done that has said that and it's only been recent and I've yes I've, I've been doing these podcasts that I, I am open about it and I have no problem sharing what I go through but it's funny I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the app it's a social media app called um Clubhouse yep. you heard of that mm-hmm. yep so on Clubhouse every Saturday somebody has approached me and said would you like to have a room um, on Clubhouse talking about depression. And I was like, yeah, sure. So every Saturdays at uh, at 11 a.m., I host a room with a with a co-host talking about different different areas of depression. And we have a, a really great conversation. And a lot of people go on stage to to talk about what they go through. And that's the most that 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 anybody has come to me to talk to me about about this. But and, and I'm and I'm kind of grateful because I can having my blog yeah I'm sharing with people what I do but that's that's the extent of it right if somebody were to come to me and say 
and say, Kathy, you know, I realized that what you're going through, I, I'm, I'm going through, I, I'm, I'm suffering with depression too. Is there anything that you can, it can tell me? I can only tell people what I've gone through and I could, I, I would have to tell them that this is what I did, but I don't know if it'll help you. And at the end of my novel, I have a list of things that I've done that has helped me, that I feel like has helped me with depression. And I've even listed things that I don't think really contributed to my, to, to, to helping me with my depression. But I, I really feel like there's, it, it, there's a combination, a mix for everybody out there. You have to find what, what works for you. So that's, that's the advice that I would give somebody who would come to me like that. Like, well, see what works for you. I've tried this. See if that works for you. I've tried that. See, you know. Is it necessary to have a diagnosis first? Oh, uh, I don't think so. Because you know how you feel, right? And if you're always feeling low, then you know that you're suffering with something that, that's not right. Because we're not supposed to be feeling low all the time. I don't think it's necessary to have a diagnosis first. Um, why not? Like, if you don't have a diagnosis and you don't feel like you need to get one, why not just try a few things here and there that, that'll help you get on the men? But there are some people who may need the diagnosis because they need they, they may need that medication. Just because I don't take medication doesn't mean that everybody has to, like, follow suit and do what I did. There's some people who need that medication before they can start doing things like meditation and, and exercise and all that stuff. So I don't know. I don't know. Okay. okay. Um, our audience is primarily boomer women. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you're not a boomer, but what would you say to them? Because as I started out in my intro is a lot of women in their sixties and seventies were told as young women of like, oh, it's just women's issues, like get over it, snap out of it, you know, just you're being foolish or whatever. Would you encourage them to revisit the whole thing or? Absolutely, I would. Um, I think even even understanding that uh, doctors don't always necessarily know what to do for you when you have depression or, you know, the, the Medicaid, like, okay, what do I want to say with this? I think that they should go and because it's so open now, people are talking about it more. It's, it's still a stigma, but at the same time, people are understanding more about, about depression. And it's not so much something that, that is as misunderstood as it was back then. Even if you're like 60, 70 years old, why not go and, and try to see if you can get a diagnosis or talk to a therapist with, you know, about what you're going through. Why not? It's never too late because who knows? You've been suffering with this all your life, but if you can control it now, at least you can live the rest of your life with some peace and knowing that that you did something for yourself, right? Some, that you had not thought about doing years ago or that you weren't encouraged to do years ago. Take charge, take control of it if you can. I don't know. Well, that, that's gold. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so... Before we wrap, Kathy's Cross, that's your blog. Mm-hmm. And it's got a, a WordPress.com in it. So uh, we'll put the links in the show notes. Okay. How do we get the box? How do we find the box? Is it like on Amazon or? No, not yet. Not yet. It's still unpublished. I, okay. I, I'm i trying to get literary agents to, uh, I, I'm trying to get a literary agent for it. And I also submitted it to a fellowship and, and if, if, 
it wins that fellowship, then I, that's my road to publishing. But right now it's it's currently unpublished. It is finished. However, I'm trying to find a literary agent for it. Oh, man. <laughs> All of us who are going like, oh, man, this book sounds so good. <laughs> we have to wait. That makes me feel so good. <laughs> We're going to be sitting on the end of our, edge of our chairs. Is there a, a link to find you on Clubhouse on a Saturday morning? Yes, and I can I can definitely send that link to you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, the listeners know everything's in the show notes. That's good. Okay, yes, I can. Anywhere else listeners can find you. I was going to, you know, like I come with notes and I, I was going to say when they want to know when your next book comes out, but we got to get this first book out first of all. I know, I know. I'm <laughs> fine, I'm fine. Uh, but thank you so much for that. I, it makes me feel really good. Yes, yeah, so I, I am on Facebook, but, you know, yeah, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and I use, I primarily use those to promote my, my uh, blog. So I'm not really on it that much but you know every once in a while I try to post something about my puppy and you know about you know me having a nice time with my sister or something like that okay well we'll at least get uh, the the blog url up and also the link to clubhouse when you send it to me that's great yes, that would be great anything we haven't talked about that you want to say before we close no i don't think so okay good thank you for answering all my questions sometimes you know, I write out questions and, and I go like, oh, I hope that's not too intimate or, you know, like too personal. Yeah. So I appreciate, appreciate you. You're that. welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be talking about this and to be, if I could just like, like I said, if I touch one person's life, you know, that would be awesome. But so thank you so much for inviting me and for asking the questions that you did. Thank you. No, that's good. Okay. Listeners, you know that all the links are in the show notes by the time we go to press. Um, if you have comments on today's show, please talk to us. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, just scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeart, most places a person would listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there and please leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. Share this episode with someone who you think might need it, or perhaps with someone you want to discuss your own life with. There is no shame about depression, no matter what others say. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website. And if you want to hear wisdom on a specific subject, message me at twoboomerwomen.com. Kathy Jean-Francois, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today, being so thank candid you. about everything and making it so easy to discuss a difficult subject. Thank you so much, Agnes. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of the week.